0: If you are a guest, be aware that we normally gather with a song, dismiss our children, then we teach the word. We'll respond with some more singing later. That's normally the way things happen here. This morning, however, we're going to do it a little differently. Um, we're going to kind of have two uh, parts of teaching. The band's going to stay up here. We'll share a few minutes, and then we're actually going to jump into some worship. We'll have communion, and then I'll come back after communion, a little longer teaching today. Uh, just in that, in that section. So the man's going to remain where they are. And I think you'll see why. As we answer this question, what is the motive of the Great Commission? That is the question we're answering in this message. It's the third message in our series called Understanding the Great Commission. We've looked at the Great Commission mandate. We've looked at the Great Commission model. And so several verses in, in Matthew and Luke and Acts wait upon us for several weeks. But the question we must ask ourselves is this right here. What compels us or what motivates us to live that out? Because I'll be honest with you, when I look at the Great Commission, when I see its mandate and model, I get excited. But I will be honest with you, that is a, um, that's a big task, amen? And I might could get really jazzed up for a week or a month, or I might could get really excited for a, a, a year but to live my life in a targeted, continuous fashion towards that end, that's a, that's a load to carry. So what sustains you in that? What propels and motivates us in making disciples of all nations? Surely there's something deeper than just the arm of the flesh. Surely there's something um, greater than just white-knuckled energy. Man-made power, is there? Well, there is. And we find the answer in the Great Commission. So let's turn back to our root text, shall we? Matthew chapter 28 is where we find the answer to the question, what really fuels the Great Commission? What drives missions? And I have intentionally waited till this week to unpack for you verses 16 and 17. If you recall, we looked at verses 18, 19, and 20 for about two weeks. That is the heart of the Great Commission. But what what drives that? What motivates that? I think verses 16 and 17 lay it out for us. Look with me, Matthew 28, 16 and 17. The Bible says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. And so Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which I believe is the, the way Jesus addressed the doubts. He established his authority At some point, these who were among the worshiping crowd did leave their doubt because all 11 began to make disciples. But I love the honesty of Matthew, don't you? At that moment, there was some hesitancy, some doubt. We're worshiping, we're falling down, but man, what's next? So Jesus kind of clears that up. He establishes his authority given to him by the Father. And he then says, In light of my authority, you go, therefore, and you make disciples of all nations Now here's the process that is given by which that happens. We can evidence that, so to speak. You baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Trinitarian baptism, and then you teach them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What motivates 18 through 20? I believe it is the worship found in verse 17. Notice how they, when when they saw Jesus, what what was their first reaction? The Bible here says that they saw him, they worshipped him. Did they fall down? Did they kneel? We don't know exactly. But something in their posture and attitude was, was worshipful. Something said, here's the risen Lord, and they ascribed to him worth and praise and honor. That was their first action. So before mission comes worship. Now this is not a new thought. John Piper's been saying it for years. You've heard us say it before. It's often said that worship fuels mission. And we would agree with that. I think you understand that. You would buy into that probably. You're not going to do anything for anyone, at least long term, that you don't feel as worthy of that. Does that make sense? So worship fuels, worship drives mission. But have we ever asked ourselves even a deeper question? What fuels worship? Because you don't just worship out of a vacuum. I think the text answers that question as well. Look back at verse 17. When the disciples, look at verse 17, when they saw Him. Now, They didn't just meet an old friend, (laughs) right? They didn't just happen upon a stranger. They saw Jesus. Now think with me historically about what that must have meant. Here's 11 guys who had just come through a number of traumatic experiences. The man they had been following was arrested in the middle of the night, went through six... um, Mock trials, scourged and beaten. Many of them saw parts of that. In the end, all fled, but some of them saw various aspects of that the beatings, the scourgings, the blood. They saw him crucified, they saw him die, be buried. They ran to the tomb three days later and realized he was alive. So all of this is happening and going through their heads and they see him. What they see, now watch this. On the the back end of that, we can say this. What they saw was the gospel personified. They saw all of God's prophetic predictions about a Messiah coming. The suffering servant of of Isaiah 53. All of that. They saw it coming true and then he died and rose again. Now they're seeing him. They're saying, wow, this is all of the great news that God had promised. He's here. This is Jesus. And so in response to all of that, what do they do? They worship him. I would say to you, yes, worship fuels mission, but the gospel fuels worship. And without a clear understanding, an, an an accurate description of what the gospel is. Worship is sometimes just loud instruments and shallow, happy people. But when the gospel sinks deep, that God's long time promised reconciliation of sinners has come. Jesus has died, was buried, and is now rose again and alive when that sinks deep with us, that we're no longer enemies, but we're, we're family members, regardless of what nation we're in, right? All nations have been brought to the Father. People from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. That, that God has done that in Jesus, then that, that prompts in us, that gospel message, that news prompts in us an unbelievable response called worship. And it can happen with music. It can happen without music. It can happen in a car. It can happen in a church sitting. It can happen while you're mowing your lawn. It can happen while you're doing your dishes. You're teaching your kids. Because when the gospel sinks deeply that Jesus Christ has reconciled sinners to God the Father, that I'm no longer condemned, but I stand clean before God through the Savior, when that sinks deep and takes root, your heart will undoubtedly leap with joy. Worship will just flow from your life and your lips. So so do you see the progression here? What's what's motivating the Great Commission? It is the fact that the gospel has now come. Jesus died, was buried, rose again. God has finished His work. They saw Him. They worshipped Him. And so now they're ready to move out for Him. In other words... It's always this progression: gospel, worship, mission. We can say it like this: mission is fueled by worship, and worship is fueled by the gospel. So, just kind of get those words in mind, would you? We see this in Acts thirteen as well. Look over there, real briefly. It's not quite as blatant, but I think you see the same type of attitude among those at the Church of Antioch. Here we are, a good bit of time later. Persecution had come to Jerusalem. Many of them scattered except the leaders. We think some of those who scattered ended up at Antioch. We don't know the exact people who planted the church in Antioch. But we know that there is a viable, healthy church now several miles away in Antioch. It says in chapter 13 that the prophets and teachers there at Antioch, he names them, they were, look at verse 2, while they were what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting... Then what happens next? The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But notice that the work is not given until the worship is already happening. Do you see the same progression? Here the church leaders are, and perhaps it is uh, the church as well. I tend to think it's just the leaders. But regardless, it's it's a non-essential fact. The point is, there's there's a court of this church worshiping the Lord. And then they're given the work to do. Now, you could say, well, Todd, they already knew what to do to make disciples true. But in a specific way, the Holy Spirit set them on a a targeted mission to send out two of their own while they were worshiping. I am, I, I just, I'm confident that mission, the work, is best fueled and motivated by worship. But what drives worship? Say it with me. The gospel, because notice in Acts 13, who were they worshiping? They weren't worshiping their church leaders. They weren't worshiping the NFL, MLB, Monday Night Football, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They weren't worshiping themselves. They weren't worshiping their checkbooks or their jobs. They were worshiping, say with me, the Lord. The word there is curios. It just means victor, conqueror. And I do believe here in Antioch, a good bit of time after the initial church plant in Jerusalem, they knew. Yes, the one who has brought us to Antioch, who, realized the, who, who, who even ordained that persecution to get us scattered, that one, Jesus Christ, is the one we're worshiping. He's central to our gathering, and we are worshiping and fasting and praying to him. It was very vertical. So, so do you see the theme, the, 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 the strain here, the trend? Mission, as important as it is, is driven, fueled by worship. But worship must be fueled by the gospel. So again, three words. Gospel, worship, mission. That's critical and important. Now, I could preach about that for a few days. You wouldn't stay the whole time, but you'd stay for a few hours and you'd leave and get your kids go home, eat lunch, and say, Todd, you know. I got a better idea this morning. And this is not to say that other things aren't worship. Like I said, worship can happen with or without music. can happen in all kinds of places. It's the heart, it's the response of the heart with everything we have given to a God who's given everything He can to us. But let's be frank. Sometimes the Bible does call us to worship in song, doesn't it? And in the corporate gathering especially, there's, a, there's an aspect to that kind of musical worship that really praises God. In fact, did you know that in Revelation, one of the things that we'll be doing and that is sung at the end of time After the day of the Lord, we're gathered together with Him from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. The Bible says that we are singing a new song. One of the songs being sung around the throne by the elders and by the angels, even by saints one day, will be, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's a gospel-centered song. So this morning, instead of me preaching about it a whole bunch more than usual, or talking about it, or having you listen about it, why don't we actually do what we saw, at least to some degree in this text, why don't we just worship the Lord and let's experience together the motivation of the gospel in singing and declaring words about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and let that just massage our hearts and compel us to worship because my sense is that the scriptures show that when the gospel compels us to worship mission will never be a problem so can we do that this morning let's just take some extra time this morning and let's sing together let's praise together let's lift up the name of our lord jesus christ and let's sing the gospel let's think about the gospel and let our hearts explode with worship Perhaps by your chair, you'll want to kneel down at some point and pray. Maybe you'll want to have a seat for a moment and simply pray with someone next to you, like in your family, or maybe a friend is close by. Maybe there's someone in the room that you're at odds with, and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, and you'll go to them and say, I don't want to be at odds. I want to worship the Lord together. The Holy Spirit may do things like that, but can we gather our hearts together as a family and worship the Lord for a bit in a little longer way than normal? We do this every week, but i think this week we're going to do it in a, in a longer more uh, and I don't mean longer overall just a more extended fashion for a while we'll have communion for a little bit I'll come back after that I'll teach a little more about where this is found again in Romans then I'm going to bring us to a response time all right but let's this morning let's just don't talk about gospel empowered worship let's experience together because when you leave today is my prayer that you won't wonder why you should make disciples You'll, you'll, you'll wonder, why not? If God would do that for me, I'll tell anybody who will listen. So I want us to take some time now to look at this as well and understand more about how gospel compels worship and worship drives or fuels mission. So look at Romans 15 as another companion passage to the Great Commission and understanding its motive. Romans 15 They're kind of tucked away towards the end of the book here, verses 8 and 9. Let me walk you through these two verses briefly and show you how the same three words show up, all right? You there yet? Romans 15, 8 and 9. Paul says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's a word that refers to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness... In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, now I'll just go ahead and tell you up front. That's just the gospel. He's like, well, "How is that the gospel, Todd?" Circumcised and patriarchs and promises and truthfulness. Here's what Paul is saying: that Christ was willing to come to earth as a human, as a man. Philippians chapter two. He he was not going to hold on to his to the glory that was given him at the beginning. He was to set that aside for a time being, so to speak. Still God, yet embraced full humanity as a Jewish man. He became that in order to show God's truthfulness. How is God proving to be true? Because what he promised Abraham uh, became a reality. Remember what he told Abraham? That through you all the families of the earth would be blessed? Genesis twelve three. So when Jesus came as a man, as a Jewish man, yet fully God... <laughs> It was the fulfillment of what God had promised Abraham centuries before, that he would send a Messiah. So God has proven to be true now because Christ came as a servant to the circumcised. It confirmed the promises made to the patriarchs. So, So God made good on his word. Jesus has come. That's the gospel. But watch what happens. He says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? God came through the Jews and as a Jew in Jesus Christ, and yet He came not just for the Jews only, He came for all the other, watch this word now, nations. The word Gentiles there in this verse and in verse 9, same as in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. So Christ came subservient, so to speak, or as a Jew in order to not just win Jews, but that he might be preached among the Gentiles. And by the way, that is a great act of, what does the Bible say here? Mercy. It is by God's mercy that you who are at the ends of the earth, based on Acts 1.8, have heard of Jesus Christ. It is an act of God's mercy that he would draw you to himself Give you faith to believe when you hear the message of His Son who came as a Jew, but not just for the Jews, but for all nations. So you see, gospel, watch this. He came in order that even the Gentiles might, what? Glorify God, that's worship. Here it is again, same words, gospel, worship. Now watch verse 9. Therefore, Paul uses now David to explain what his mission is. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. If the goal is that Christ, as a Jewish man, came in order that not just the Jews, but the nations might know the Gentiles, then Paul said, using David's words from Psalm 18, I'll praise you among the nations, the Gentiles. That's mission. So do you see it here, guys? Gospel, worship, mission. Not just in Matthew's terms, not just in Luke's terms, but now in Paul's terms. And by the way, when Paul uses David here in verse 9 to kind of explain why he does what he does, Paul was no doubt going to places where the gospel had not been named. You can read that in Romans 16 as well. His goal was to not build on other foundations, but at least personally, he felt like, I'm going to go where heirs where there's never been named the name of Christ. He uses David here to talk about, in the Old Testament, to talk about his, his desire to preach Christ among nations who had not heard. So that tells me something, that if, that if Paul pulled from David, there must have been something happening even centuries before Paul that said God's heart is for the nations. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a long thread of God's heart for the nations throughout the Bible. And Matthew, Luke, and Paul pick up on it, but it's written for us even before this. It's written us in David, all the way back to Abraham. God's heart is the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy to them, because... He came and fulfilled his promises in the person of the Jewish man named Jesus Christ. It's gospel worship mission. Now, I hope you're grasping this. I hope you're kind of realizing, wow, it's not just that we're on a mission by white-knuckled power or man-made strength. We're actually in a long line of people who have understood that God's desire was to be... That God's desire was for himself to be praised and glorified. He began that long ago with Abraham, brought a people to himself, sent his son through that people, but then sent that people out so that all nations might come and worship God. This has been God's heart all along. And so we're in a long line of people who see God's passion for his own glory. And we want to get in the same line of those people and say, God, make your fame known throughout the earth. Send us to make Disciples of all nations. That's why the great commission, the work of it, always follows the worship of God, which is always driven by the gospel of God. Let me show you how this is seen in Psalms. I mentioned this in our first message. I told you how over a hundred times in Psalms, the idea of nations is represented. God's heart for the nations. God's passion for the globe Here's four of them I want you to read out loud with me to kind of get a sense of what Paul is leaning into when he quotes David and kind of ex- uses that to express his own personal mission. Here's four of those scriptures in the book of Psalms that I want you to see. Read them with me, would just Psalm 96.3. Let's read this with passion and bring glory to God together. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Here's Psalm 117, 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. And then in Psalm 102, verse 15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. That's just four of several throughout Psalms, and many in the prophets, in which God calls the nations to worship Him. So, guys, when you read the Great Commission, which says what? Make, say it with me, make disciples of all nations. It's not a new thought. Paul even knew that. He said, here's what David said, I'm in the same strain of that, and so we now live in that as well, that we want to join in God's passion to reach the nations. The motive for that is the worship of God, his desire to be glorified and praised. So I want to bring to you, as the man kind of prepares to lead us on another set, a simple sentence that might help you understand the motive of the Great Commission. It's this right here, that uh, the gospel personalized, which is God's passion, understanding God's passion from Abraham forward and making it personal, seeing that this involves me, a Gentile, So so, so what's God doing? He's using me in his great historical redemptive mission. He's using me. So personalizing that, because it always inevitably leads to a people mobilized. You see, the answer to to mobilizing 800 plus, plus people to reach the nations, watch this now, listen very carefully, does not lie only or solely in man's strategy or cleverness it lies in the worship of God by a Holy Spirit-empowered people because then they're fueled by the only one who can send us to the Gentiles to do exactly what he's been doing since the time of Abraham, bringing glory to his name among the nations. The task is too big for human flesh, okay? But it is not too big for God. So so here's what I'm I'm driving at today: the gospel personalized. Do you believe and obey the Great Commission that God should be worshipped and praised among all nations? That that is evidenced by those who are baptized and obedient, and then in turn they reproduce themselves among other people, often other nations so that God is praised and glorified. Is that what your life is pointed at? You see, here's what I want to bring to you this morning is that I don't think all of us have really been gripped by that gospel. I think some have. But I think far too many Americans in churches in this land, including ours, can recite it, maybe can explain it, perhaps could even teach it. Have they personalized it? And are they for the sake of God's glory and fame (laughs) reproducing themselves? Are they all in so that his fame is known among all the nations? As you think about that question, let me ask you some further questions. Have you become a disciple? Now, when I say that, you may be thinking, well, Todd, I, I don't really meet for... A deep Bible study over coffee. So it doesn't mean I'm not a disciple. But I think that's the American definition of discipleship. I told you that in week one, didn't I? Grab a cup of coffee, study a book of the Bible, and say, call it discipleship. I then not ask you if you met for coffee over a Bible study. I said, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of a Jesus? In other words, has your heart been regenerated by God's grace? And your appetites changed so that you long for God's glory to be seen. That you long for Him to be known. Are you truly born again? Maybe you've been attending here for a number of weeks. You've been checking out First Family or you've been listening as a curious, perhaps skeptic to the gospel. I would this morning call upon you to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus to save you. Ask God. God save me through Jesus. I believe He's The only way to be made right and his work on the cross, his death, resurrection, is the only way I'm made right. So God, because of Jesus, who he is and what he did, save me today. There may be one or two here, maybe seven or eight. There may be 15 or 20, I don't know. But if you've never truly been born again this morning, I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a disciple. Maybe you've never really, not really, maybe you've never been baptized you say, why would you say that, Todd? Because baptism's the first mark of genuine Christians. Do you know that? It's why he asks us to evidence our discipleship by immersion. He says, go ahead, and once you are, are in the family, born again, I want you to be baptized. In fact, baptism is not optional. This is one of the, the negatives of the American culture. We've almost made baptism like optional. Just let us know when you're ready. Now, I understand there's things with little children. I understand there's things with sometimes fear of water, but can I as a... As an honest, transparent pastor say to you, we can work through those if that's where you are. But I doubt if that's where most Christians who are holding off on baptism are. Most people just make excuses. And they've never realized baptism's the first command to those who are wanting to follow. Why do you think at Pentecost, when the Great Commission was preached to all nations there under heaven, Acts 2, 5 says, that when 3,000 heard the word and accepted it, the gospel, and said... We believe. What's the first thing they did? They got baptized. I mean, I would love to have been part of baptizing three thousand people. Can you imagine? Like, okay, time out. We got to get a water break. And, you know, while you're involved in water, right? I mean, that has just been a lot of fun to baptize that people who who were saying in a public evidential way, "I'm in. I'm a follower." Have you been baptized? And as a straightforward question. If you've not been baptized, will you? Quit being disobedient today and be all into the Great Commission and evidentially publicly state, I'm a follower of Christ. Another question, are you, are you obedient to all that Jesus has said? Now, I'm not talking here about the sanctification process by which all of us grow. We, we grow, we trip, we stumble, we confess. We're, we're, that's kind of, I would say, in this word, normal of our Christian walk. I'm talking about those of you who blatantly, in a long-term fashion, just resist God's teaching to you. They're in our church. I know they are. You know they are. They rebel church authority. They, they resist God's spiritual leading. They just They fight against any kind of obedience. That's going directly against the Great Commission. Disciples are those who get baptized. And then watch this they are taught to what? Obey everything Jesus said. And if you over long periods of time just keep fighting what Jesus said, I I would ask you this morning to to repent of that and say, Lord, I, I want to obey what you've said. Maybe it's in an area of forgiveness to someone or maybe it's in an area of your finances and giving towards the Great Commission and the church's work to make disciples of all nations. Maybe it's in other areas of of language or, or personal habits or, or purity matters. The Holy Spirit probably right now is pressing on you as we prayed the first of the service. He's pressing on you. Here's an area where you're not being obedient and you've been resisting me for months, for years. True disciples, obey what Jesus said. Are you with me? That's what the Bible says. It's how we show people we're all in. Then the last question is this. I think that there's many here who, they're in, and that would even say, they would say too, but we're probably all in. But their life has been pointed at a different target. I think they believe all this, and they're, they're in in one sense, but the target of God's heart for the nations, it's been refocused this month. They're like, wow, I, I've seen that it's not just about God's heart for my street, and that's good. It's not just God's heart for this city, and that's good. We want to embrace the losses of Ankeny. We'll never back away from that. But there's something larger happening through the thread of the Bible God is gathering a people to himself from every single nation. And I'll be honest with you here, I want to point my life towards that goal. I want money to go to that goal. I want my time to go to that goal. I want my kids to go to that goal. I want my marriage to aim at that goal. That's the goal. Because at the end of time, What's the song going to be sung by every single believer from every single tribe, nation, tongue, and language? Worthy is the Lamb. And, and I think there's some people here who are going to need to kind of recalibrate a bit. You love Jesus, you're walking well, but your life's been pointed just a little bit off-centered. I am just going to ask you to recalibrate and say, okay, I'm pointed towards God's heart for the nations. And whatever he asks of me, whatever role that is, I'm, I'm in. So my invitation this morning is simple. Which of those is God leading you to respond to? Now, I'll be frank with you. I'm not real good at giving invitations. I don't give them much. I'm a little better at providing response avenues, but even then, I'm not real good at it. But about three and a half weeks ago, God's spirit was clear with me. He said, Todd, on the final week of the go month, provide people an opportunity to respond. I'm much more afraid of God than you. And I just told the Lord that day, I said, I'll do that. I don't know how to do it. I'm not real good at it, but I'll do it, God. Because you know why? I deeply love Jesus, and I deeply love you. And I deeply want us to be mobilized for God's heart for the nations. It just weighs on me every day. So will you bow your heads with me for a few moments? And can we just have a moment as a church to respond to one of these four things? Here's how I'd like to ask you to do this. I just want to first of all ask if there's anyone here, God has revealed to you your lost condition apart from him you know you're eternally damned your sin has separated you from God but you've seen the work of Christ so beautifully given for you you've seen your your heart's been opened and you understand now that Jesus came to save sinners you know you are one of those and that without Christ you'll never be reconciled to God but Jesus died for you God loves you. Jesus loves you. And since the Bible simply says that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we'll be saved, I'm just asking you right now where you are to call upon the name of the Lord and to simply say, God, save me through Jesus. It would sound something like this if you were to pray a prayer. Heavenly Father, I do believe that Jesus Christ is your Son and that he died on a cross and was raised from the grave. I know that his death for me satisfies your wrath against me. And so now I ask you, because of Jesus, to save me from my sin and unto yourself. You can say that prayer at a chair. You can say it at the front of an altar. You can say it driving a car. And you can say it, it doesn't to be those exact words. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does, all right? But it's a heart that cries out, That says, God, I believe Jesus is who he said he was, your son, and that he did what he said he would do. He died and rose again. Oh, God, through Jesus, save me. If this morning, that was your prayer. this morning you realize I'm lost, but I'm not lost now, Todd. I have asked God to save me. I just want to ask you right where you are to raise your hand. Let me see. Anyone on my right would say, Todd, that's me. I came in this morning unsure but now I know God has saved me. I've asked God to save me this morning. Anyone on my right? In the middle, anyone at all? On my left, anyone at all? Okay. To those here who have been making excuses for avoiding baptism, you'd say, Todd, If that's the first evidential step of being a disciple, amen. I'll baptize you this morning. We got it ready. I'll baptize you tonight before our international dinner. I'll baptize you next week. I'll baptize you Tuesday. We'll baptize you Friday. My point is, um, I'm a pastor who believes baptism matters. I do. Say, Todd, I've been putting it off. I've been making excuses, but no longer. I'm in. Would you raise your hand on my right, all across the building, if you say, Todd, I've been putting it off, but I'm in. I'll get baptized. One. That's good. I see those two there. Praise God for you. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I want to call for response. Anyone else here in the middle? Todd, I'll get baptized. I'll obey the Great Commission. I'll personalize this. In the middle, my left, anyone? I'll get baptized. Praise God. That's good. Next question. Todd, I've been blatantly disobedient. But God showed me the areas. I'm repenting today. I'm turning. And I'm going to not just know what Jesus said, I'm going to obey what He said. Maybe it's in your giving. Maybe it's in joining a small group and being accountable and honest and walking with a smaller group in, in fellowship. Maybe it's in just being at church and not avoiding meeting together as Hebrews talks about. Maybe it's in apologizing to someone, establishing the right kind of relationship. Maybe it's in how you treat your spouse or the Holy Spirit's pressed on you, you know. And you know you've been resisting and disobedient. Even though your head's full of knowledge. Would you say, Todd, I've repented in this time this morning. I've commit to obedience. And you know the area in that specific area. Would you just raise your hand? Todd, I will obey as a disciple this morning. Just hold your hands up. I want to see them. Hold your hands up. Keep them right there. And to the middle here and to the left just hold them up Good last question and this may be a duplicate in some way so so hear me out but just to those who you're not blatantly disobedient in an area you, you really seek the Lord you're, you're, but you do and admit my life needs a calibration and I want I want a heart for the nations. I want to see God lifted high across the globe so God, I'm pointing my life towards that target. Just hold your hand up, would you? Say, Todd, I'm, that's, this is a daily, weekly thing. I'll be honest. I'm in the middle of it. That's where I'm at. Hold your hand up, would you? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing for a minute. I want you to take that card in the back of the chair in front of you. I want you to write the decision you're making this morning, all right? You can put a number. I know what they are. One, two, three, or four. You can write a note. You can put the sin that you've been disobedient by. And you can say, I've repented. You can list it. And, but I want to know your name and your decision. And if you confess me before men, God will confess you before his father. Christ will confess you before his father. Don't be ashamed or timid at this point. We're going to sing. And as we sing this song, just bring that card to these three little black wooden steps. Just lay it down. We'll pick them up at any services. We'll work with you or your small group or we'll be in touch. One of our staff, elders, deacons, we'll work together on mobilizing for the Great Commission. Amen. That's what I want you to do. If God has saved you, just write on there, today I became a Christian. If it's about getting baptized, write your name in baptism. If you're repenting of known blatant sin and you want to be obedient, just put I'm obedient today and write as much as you want. If you're just recalibrating to say, Todd, my life's pointed toward God's heart. His passion is my mission. Just jot that down. And while we sing, you bring him to the front and we'll have our invitation.